You're listening to the Save the Marriage Podcast. Your marriage can be saved and strengthened if you have the right information. Join Dr. Lee Bauckham as he explores ways for you to improve your relationship and your life, starting right now. Hey, this is Lee Balkum, and this is the Save the Marriage Podcast. I designed this podcast to help you grow in your marriage, help you restore your relationship, help you find new ways forward. And today I've got a special guest with me, Dr. Wyatt Fisher. Uh, Dr. Wyatt Fisher is a licensed clinical psychologist. He has his master's degree and his doctorate and does uh, work privately with clients. He's been doing that since 2004. And he's actually used his own clinical work and his own personal experience in marriage, which he's been married since 1999, to create what he calls the six marriage steps. Now, what we're going to talk about today is not really necessarily about those six steps, but something very important. And what's important that we talk about is how you share power in a relationship, how you make compromises, how you find your way forward when you're trying to make decisions. Because this is one of those places where couples really often butt heads. They don't know how to share the power that's involved in any partnership. Today, we unlock that as I talk with Wyatt. Lots of couples find it uh, difficult to figure out how to deal with power in their relationships. You know, and anytime you have a partnership, there's always something that you're trying to negotiate of who has power and how that comes to be. And so today I'm super excited because Dr. Wyatt Fisher is with me and we're going to talk about that. Wyatt, thanks for being here. I always am interested before we jump into the whole power issue and power struggles and that kind of thing. How'd you get into this work? What, what led you here? A couple of different things. One thing that led me into working with couples was my own parents got divorced when I was pretty young, around six or seven. And so that created a planted a seed in my heart as a young boy of wanting families to stay together because I experienced firsthand step parents, step siblings, and just all the stress that can come with that. And then also my own marriage since 1999 has had a lot of peaks and valleys. And so that was a, a double inspiration to want to help couples. And my wife and I have made it through so much trauma and challenges that I really feel like I'm paying it forward when I'm able to work with couples to pay pay it forward and pass on lessons I've learned from my own experience and my clinical experience as well. Yeah, it's interesting how those uh, early days, I've written about this several times that my family, my parents were, um, still are happily married, but I have some cousins I have nothing to do with anymore because they left the family over divorces in the family, their parents divorcing. So it's interesting how those early days sometimes shape our professional lives, right? (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So talk a little bit about what you, how you work with couples. What do you do? Yeah. So I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and I'm in private practice in Boulder, Colorado. I've been in private practice since 2004. And just through the years, I slowly have developed, you know, different products to help couples. Uh, but that's the the main thing I do is my practice. And then I do conferences and I have an app and a couple other products to help couples and a book. Um, but yeah, but all of it's centered around helping couples resolve resentments and fall back in love and develop successful relationships. So let's talk a little bit about that resentment, especially where those resentments come in because of power issues. And talk a little bit about what you mean by power issues. And and let's just kind of broaden that out a little bit. Yeah. So power is who, who has the final say on whatever topic we're talking about in marriage, whether it's 
finances or sexual intimacy or how to raise the kids or how tidy or how sloppy to keep the house. Um, So many categories when you're in a relationship requires decision-making and ideally compromise, but some of us struggle more than others with compromising because we want our way. We want things to be done the way we think they should be done, or we want our preferences first. And that creates all sorts of power battles. And so a lot of couples wrestle with one person feeling voiceless, the other person being having too much power. And so kind of balancing power to where both partners feel like they have an equal voice and that they're both able to influence the other one is so healthy and so important for for a healthy relationship. But a lot of couples wrestle with that topic. What do you think's behind the um, the wrestling with it? Why? I mean, you, you, if we're on the same team, you know what <laughs> what is it that gets them into trouble? I think some of it depends. I mean, we we all bring certain bents into our marriage based on how we were raised, how we grew up, and so I think some of us, based on how we were raised, just naturally struggle more sharing power because. Maybe we were raised with a parent who gave us a really long rope. And so we were used to coming and going as we pleased. Our will got really strong. And now we're in this marriage relationship and we're supposed to compromise. And we're not used to compromising. We're used Mm -hmm. to doing things our way. Or maybe we're an only child and we never had to share. And so everything kind of centered around what we wanted. We always got what we wanted because we didn't have any other siblings. And now we're in a marriage and I'm supposed to share. I'm supposed to give and take. So I think a lot of it is kind of baked into us before we even get married. And other, it can also go to the other extreme where maybe we were raised with an authoritarian parent and we we're used to just obeying and not questioning and not really thinking about what we wanted because we had to just obey. And now we're in a marriage and we give up our power too fast because we're used to yielding and, and giving in and submitting. And so, yeah, I think some people just come into marriage where they're, they lean toward I'm used to doing my my way, or I'm used to just giving in and doing things other people's way. Mm-hmm. And both of those are a little too far on the continuum. Yeah, I, I've always wondered how much um, uh, the cultural piece plays into this. You know, I mean, I, I've been in other cultures that are less individualistic in their orientation and are more family oriented. You know, I've been in um, Asian places where you even start with a last name as the beginning of your name. Uh, and that sets up a different thought process. And, and here we are, you know, in, at least in the States where rugged individualism is the, the big thing. Yeah. And I always think about how that must play in. There are dangers on both of those models. They're just very different cultural models that we automatically walk in with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. I mean, it's both from our family of origin, but also the culture at large that really impacts you know, how collectivistic are we versus individualistic? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So when, um, how would a couple know that they're, if, if it's kind of, it's kind of like water for a fish, you know, it's kind of background noise for them. How would they know that what's going on with them is the power struggle? Yeah. The main thing you want to look for is if you're feeling voiceless, if you feel like no matter what I say, my partner does whatever they want. I don't have a, influence on this category they call the shots you know they they take over or they their way rules um that's one thing to look for the other thing to look for if you're the one who tends to take over is does your partner never put up a fight do they never voice their opinion and they just go along with whatever you want um because that can also be just as frustrating um so kind of looking for both of those signals whether your partner never gives in or they give in all the time Mm mm-hmm 
Yeah, it, it strikes me when you started off with the uh, the person who d- feel like they don't have a voice that often the person who's identifying this struggle is the voiceless, you know, the person who is the one one man down or one person yeah. down, I guess, <laughs> one person down in the, the relationship. Yeah. Uh, but when I've heard from the others, it's because they feel completely exhausted by being the decision maker. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's not fun being in either person's shoes. Um, if you're the one who has no voice, you know, I've read research that says the more you feel like you don't have a voice, that's going to lead to less desire for intimacy and harsher startups and conflicts. But also, if you're the one that all, only has the voice and your partner won't participate in decision making and you want them to be more of an active voice, that also can be exhausting if you're the only decision maker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's talk some about the everyday. I mean, there's the the big blow ups where something big, but what, where are these little everyday things? I mean, is, is everything a let's talk about it at, or or how does that work in daily life? Yeah, I mean, it, it really comes down to the day to day moments that impact you as a couple. And so if partner A is making decisions that don't impact them as a couple, then they don't need to consult and compromise. But if the moment you're making a decision, big or small, that is going to impact me and my partner, now I better be consulting and compromising and willing to meet in the middle. Um, and it can come down to big things and all the way down to small things. So one example could be in the bedroom. So let's say partner A wants their their intimacy to be a little more erotic oriented. Partner B wants it to be more emotionally oriented. Who's going to decide that? You know, who's going to decide how this should look as we have a sexual encounter together? Um, Often one partner's way is going to rule and that's not good. And so if that happens, then the partner who feels like their experience was not heard or not, not honored, then they're going to feel invalidated or disrespected. And so it's really a matter of like, how do we articulate each of our preferences, each of our expectations? How can we share what value that comes from from for us? And then how can we compromise to try to meet in the middle to strike a win-win? I wonder how often um, it becomes background noise for a couple that they're they're no longer even aware. I I remember years ago, a mentor of mine said, always ask a couple about their first fight, not their first disagreement, but their first fight. And you almost always find that that first fight is the same fight they're still they're doing. You know, when it when it finally bubbles back up, it's kind of like the lava, you know, it's down there and then all of a sudden it boils over. And I just wonder in those points in between, um, how do we lose track of the power issue in there? You know, that so that it's only at these bubble ups. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just, I mean, every couple is a little different, but if you if you are in a relationship and you know, like, yeah, we have a we have a challenge with sharing power that is part of our growth area then it's something you want to check in and on a regular basis. And I think it's good for all partners to ask their partner, how well do you feel like I share power with you mm-hmm. on decisions that impact us? Uh, that's one of the best questions we all should be asking our partner because we may think we share power, but our partner may have a completely different experience of us and they may view us as strong-willed um, and we we have to have our way or we, we just kind of think about our preferences first mm-hmm. and foremost and so I think it's it's healthy to ask our partner on a regular basis, how well am I sharing power with you? How much do you feel like you can influence me? How much do you feel like your voice matters in our relationship? And then be open to their feedback because regardless of how you think you are, how your partner experiences you, 
matters most because that you're not going to be able to change how they experience you. Mm -hmm. So I want to create kind of two different worlds there. So there's actually two different worlds based on another piece. You're talking about a conversation to have that conversation. There already is a certain level of healthiness to the relationship. I mean, they, that you're a warring couple really in the midst of a struggle, probably is not going to have that conversation. (laughs) So we're already talking about a couple that um, has at least some level of connection that makes that conversation safe. So we'll put that in there. But there are two different pieces. There's the, maybe I need to check in with my partner and ask how I share power. But what if you're the other person who feels like you've got to ask to have a voice? How does that conversation go? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think with that one, you know, they could introduce the topic with bringing up the concept of sharing power. And I mean, there's different ways to bring, and that would be a complaint, right? If, if they're the partner who feels like my voice doesn't matter and I feel voiceless, that's a complaint that they want to make. And then there's right and wrong ways to bring up complaints to optimize your partner, not getting defensive. And so we'd have to go through that process, but that is that builds resentments going back to resentment. Mm-hmm. And so that would be something that does need to be articulated, does need to be expressed, does need to be talked through in a way that's going to disarm their partner instead of make their partner feel attacked so that they can ideally work through into a compromise that's going to work for both of them moving forward. And so just, yes, so that's also very important because if you are that partner without a voice, you need to bring it up so you have a voice. Mm-hmm. Which is the struggle of that, right? I mean, it's, in some ways, the person who ha- who has the power um, has something at risk. They have power at risk. The other person has only to gain, which I, I always see that as kind of one of these, in any negotiation, who's got to lose and who's got to gain mm-hmm. uh, sets the stage for sure. another layer of power. So um, if you're the one who is needing to ask, are there some ways you recommend starting that conversation, having that softer startup? Mm -hmm. I think one phrase that really helps, and this can be a phrase used moment by moment, the moment you start feeling voiceless and your partner's not listening to you, you can say, I don't feel like we're sharing power on this topic. Because that's a great way to say it, because that is what you're feeling. It's not an attack. And you're framing it in more of like a a zooming out type of dynamic type of comment. I don't feel like we're sharing power. And so it's, it tends to be a a nice softer way to say it and to kind of, because sometimes when someone's not sharing power, they just don't realize they're not sharing power. Mm -hmm. And maybe they're just kind of excited about something or they're, they're headstrong and and they may not be aware that they're not sharing power. So by saying, Hey, I don't feel like we're sharing power on this. Would you mind if we took took some time and talked through what we both feel and what we both think? Um, often that might be enough to bring it to that partner's attention for them to realize like, oh, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, let's let's do this different. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one option. And what I like about that is it's not saying you always are taking right. control, right? You're mm-hmm. You're trying to control everything. You're always making the decision, which is always... A problem when we get into those absolutes, yes. right? <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. So you're naming it to that specific piece, yeah, and and that allows at least a, a, a point of possibility of of discussing it. Um, what if that's met with resistance, though? What where, where do you go with that? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I mean, if, if this is a broader pattern and you bring it up and you're, you're, you know, say it in the way I just described and your partner gets defensive and denies, and then they still aren't receptive to it. If you try that a couple of times and doesn't go anywhere, then the next step would probably be to see a therapist or a coach to help, you know, work through that dynamic. Cause maybe there's deeper things going on, broader things going on. Um, so I usually recommend first trying to address it yourself as best you can and as gentle as you can. But again, if that doesn't work, then you take it to the next level, which would be getting some support. Mm-hmm. The other thing too, is sometimes what I see with couples is it depends on the topic who has right. the power. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. 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 So some topics, you know, maybe partner A has a tendency to not share power for a variety of factors. And then other topics, partner B has a tendency to not share power. Mm-hmm. And so it goes back and forth. It's not always one-sided. Yeah. And also seating power, you know, to say, I, you deal with that. I'm not going to deal with it. Yeah. Um, which also seeds responsibility. Uh, but sure. that's, you know, there. oftentimes I see couples kind of, they're thinking they're dividing and conquering. And that happens until there's some point that one wants some say-so in that they haven't had a say-so and suddenly you've got the crisis. Sure, sure. And sometimes there might be a decision and you really don't care. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh, you know what? I'm, I'm pretty indifferent on that. So whatever you prefer. And that's okay as long as your partner is doing the same in other areas. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you just want to feel like, you know, we roughly have an equal voice in this marriage, about 50-50 um, you want to feel that at the end of the day, but it doesn't mean that every single decision you're going to be sharing power because sometimes you may not care. Other times your partner may not care as long as at the end of the day, it does feel balanced. So I want to back up just a minute because you said it and I just want to highlight it. You said, I feel pretty indifferent about that, which is phrased differently than what I often hear couples say, which is I don't care. And mm-hmm. I don't care is um usually is gas on the flame <laughs> i feel indifferent is a different kind of statement um so sure. I, I know you just tossed that out but i just want to highlight the fact that there's a there's a vast difference in phrasing between i feel indifferent about that or uh, i have no real opinion about that then oh i don't mm-hmm. care yeah just to highlight true. that yeah there's a language issue yeah and it depends on what someone means by i don't care Sometimes if they say, I don't care, they might be meaning I'm indifferent, but they might be meaning something else altogether as well. Yeah. I do care, so but a little I'm more angry. To, <laughs> right. So it's, yeah. It could be a little more subjective, but it's definitely safest to say I'm indifferent um, as long as that's your pure motive as well, because you could have hidden motives going on with that too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that's that can happen where there's a topic and you're like, yeah, I'm really indifferent on that one. So whatever you prefer on this one. That was where this and then you might a, want to say, and ahead. then you might want to say, just keep that in mind for the next time I have a strong opinion. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was working with a, a business one time that their board was always in these hours long conversations that, and they were, that was their problem. You know, they're like, we never get anywhere. And so I came in, uh, sat with them and, um, just happened to have with me some, um, note cards, index cards, and they were red, yellow, and green. And just had a whole set of them. And I just handed them out just on the spur of the moment. And I said, so here's the deal. When you are not on board with the decision, that's a red card. If you're on board with the decision, that's a green card. If you really don't have a stake in it, doesn't matter to you, that's a yellow card. Now, here's the deal. If you're a green card, you have nothing to say. If you're a yellow card, you have nothing to say at that moment. It could change, 
you could suddenly say, wait, I have a stake in this. That leaves us with dealing with the red cards in the room. And 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 it, it feels kind of like that. In fact, I've had couples who have used that same process after I told the story um, where they go, you know, this is a red card for me. I, I'm, this we, we need to have this conversation about this. And some will say, we're in agreement. It's a green card. And then there is the that's a yellow card, which means I don't care. Make the decision or I'm indifferent. Make the decision. But I still reserve the right to go red card at some point. And I think that's what you're saying is that, that being clear about where you stand on it allows the process to unfold a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And the only caveat I would throw into there with couples is if you have a red card, meaning I'm not okay with this, it doesn't necessarily mean that therefore you want everything your way, but right. it just means you don't like the way it's going and you want to negotiate to find a compromise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's, that was the, for the, this group, it was a red card until I get my question answered or until mm-hmm. we make a shift so that it feels safe for my area or and there's mm-hmm. something that had to happen for them yeah. to go from red to green. Sure. And it wasn't a uh, end of the conversation. So you're yeah. right. It, with a couple, you know, it's not a vote. It's let's find a way forward. Correct. Cause you don't, yeah. So the couples don't want to confuse a red card with Trump card. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting one. <laughs> that Trump card. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, when I watch the Trump card, it's so embedded in in some sense of power. You know, I make the money here. Yeah. I had the kids. Yeah. I, you know, there's something that they feel like they're holding. And so I wonder how a couple can think about that differently so that there is no Trump card. Yeah. Yeah, I think that really starts with a mindset. Um, so with the money issue, for example, it is very tempting if one partner is the only or the main breadwinner to feel like they have more weight in certain decisions with how things are going to be run or purchasing decisions. Uh, but whenever I see that, it often leads to problems in the marriage. And so it starts with that mindset shift of all money coming in is our money, yeah. no matter who makes the money. Uh, otherwise, we're not a team. And so we need to get away from this mentality of this is my money. This is your money. It's our money. And if I can think of it as ours, I'm more likely to then want to share power also. Mm-hmm. I talk and, and people who are listening have heard me say it over and over. You're trying to become a we. We yeah. are a team. You know, We're in this together. Our resource, our decisions, we are wherever we are going. We need yeah. to both be in on that so that you're resonating well with what people will have heard. Oh, good. That's good. a big shift. Um, Because a lot of people like to play the you, me, which I think eventually becomes you versus me uh, very easily if you don't make that Mm -hmm. shift. And, you know, I've had people who explain to me they have separate accounts for money. And my response is, but there still is only resource coming in and resource going out that however you divide it up. Yeah, that's a technicality. It's still the fact that it's our resource. So that's an important Mm -hmm. shift to make. Mm -hmm. How does that play out in the rest of these power decisions if you make that shift. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, this also can come back to attachment style issues where this is kind of a tangent, but just maybe think of it here and you talk. We're growing up. If we have more of an insecure attachment style, it's harder to trust and it's harder to, you know, lean on other people. It's harder to, to become vulnerable and feel like other people are going to have our back compared to if you have that secure attachment background then it's, you're more likely to feel trusting and more 
willing to become vulnerable and allow someone to influence your decision-making and become more codependent or interdependent. Mm -hmm. And so I think this is another factor that can come out in our decision-making as a couple, where if you have more of the insecure attachment background, it might make it harder to trust your partner that they also have your best in mind Mm -hmm. and that they have the marriage best in mind. Cause you might have a little more of an edge of suspicion, which makes it harder to share power. And so Uh, I think, yeah, go go ahead. ahead. Well, I'm just thinking uh, using that same model, the avoidant or an anxious kind of attachment um, may avoid talking about this difficult thing of mm-hmm. how do we share power and anxious is is going to be um, probably having a difficult time staying in that conversation. So you're on to something that I think is uh, cuts across all attachment styles other than two people who are in fully secure attachments, which I think is a pretty rare breed these days. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, at the core, it's, you know, that first stage of psychosocial development, trust versus mistrust. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that kind of gets baked in there. And so that I think does play a part because it feels like that when you're in a committed long-term relationship, it is a process of, do I trust you? Mm -hmm. And the more I trust you, the more willing I'm going to be to share power with you because I feel like you're going to have my interests in mind as I have your interests in mind. And it's part of that development of we-ness instead Mm -hmm. of me versus you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking earlier, you said, okay, so the first thing is try to have that conversation between you and try to work it out. And if not, then you could get a therapist or a coach. And I'm just suddenly realizing the the stack, the domino stack, you know, of power, because the person goes, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to therapy. That's a power piece. Yeah. And um, so then it continues to stack the, I'm not going to have anything that gets in my way of me doing the way I do things and the other Mm -hmm. person being on the losing end. So just for a moment, what happens in those situations if the person keeps throwing up the power roadblocks? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting when you think of things from the lens of control or power, because the moment one person takes power or takes control, you'll see almost predictably the other person counteracts with power. Mm Mm-hmm. And so that's an example. So if I'm asking you to go to therapy, I just took power away from you. Mm -hmm. And so you may counter and say, I'm not going so you have power back. And so it's kind of, it's a power battle about power, (laughs) which is, you know, ironic. Um, But it happens all the time because that is exactly the dynamic that happens in relationships and in marriage is I'm doing this. Therefore, you don't have power. Now the other person counteracts so that they regain power And a lot of things in marriage can be viewed from a power slash control perspective. Which is part of why I thought it it was so important to have this conversation, because just talking about it, a lot of times, uh, I mean, I hear people often say, my spouse is trying to control me, right? I mean, that's, I think every therapist has had one or both people claiming that the other person is trying to control them and not realizing that behind that is power, but sometimes not actually power, but feeling powerless that's leading to that trying to control. Mm -hmm. Sure. And anxiety, fear often drives control. Mm. And so if we get anxious about something, often one way to combat that anxiety is to have control. You know, think of like obsessive compulsive 
disorder. It's an anxiety based disorder. We have anxiety around, oh my gosh, I have germs on my hands. Mm -hmm. So then the compulsion of washing my hands lowers the anxiety. So Mm -hmm. it gives me a sense of control. Mm -hmm. And so that's another way to think of it too, is that it's not people trying to be dictators necessarily. Often it can be rooted in, I have anxiety. So therefore I'm making this final decision to relieve my anxiety but then by doing that, they're making a two eyes in decision, which only benefits them without considering their partner's interest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I would even go so far as to say that almost always somebody trying to grab power is about anxiety and fear and trying to avoid anxiety and fear. You know, that that is rooted in it. Yeah. There's some pretty good research just came out that said that a driving force in lots of mental health issues is the fear of being out of control. And that fits sure. into this. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And that's what creates PTSD, you know, for people in traumatic situations is this complete loss of control in this highly traumatic scenario. And now I've developed PTSD in reaction to that. Mm -hmm. And so we're wired, you know, we're wired to have a certain level of mastery and control in our life and in our environment and our mental and physical health improves when we have that level of mastery and control. But then when we have to interact with someone else needing that same level of mastery and control, now we got some sparks. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and what other partnership does that show up as much as in a marriage when you have basically said, hey, we've linked our lives and our future together. <laughs> no matter what days come sure. our way, we're, we're headed down without some pretty major uh, legal issues. We're, you know, we're rooted together. And I, I think that is That's part right. of that. Unless you make the shift, you're always in fear of uh, having lost control. Yeah. Yeah. I think the first step for a lot of people is just raising awareness on this topic and even thinking about how, what is this whole topic of sharing power and control and how much do I share power? How much do I not share power? Mm -hmm. And why is it important to cultivate a marriage where we both have an equal voice? And the more people can become educated and aware around that, that's step one. Cause a lot of couples don't even think about that and they're just operating in their, you know, their normal pattern that they're used to. So I think that's usually step one. Step two is I teach couples a technique that I call bounce the ball. And that's designed to help couples actually implement um, sharing power after they bought into the mindset of the value of it. Mm. Talk about that some. Yeah. So bounce the ball is whenever you feel like you and your partner are not sharing power or you're starting to have to make a decision. You're not seeing eye to eye. So it could be on you know little things like how much screen time should our kids have? all the way up to big things, like how much should we save every month for retirement or spend on a vacation and everything in between. But what you do is it doesn't matter who begins. And first of all, you can say to your partner, hey, can we bounce the ball on this? So that's another soft Mm. soft entry when you start Mm -hmm. feeling like we're not sharing power. You can say, hey, can we bounce the ball on this topic? Mm, I like that. So bounce the ball, the analogy comes from sports. So if you think about basketball or soccer, no one likes a ball hog. And that's the person who doesn't pass. They dribble all the way down the court or they, you know, they have the ball themselves and then they, they shoot for the goal. And that's why a lot of coaches say you can't, you can't shoot until you pass two or three times mm-hmm. and then you have the permission to shoot. So likewise in marriage, so you're a ball hog. If all you do is say what you think the decision should be mm-hmm. and you never interact with your partner about that decision, you never ask their opinion. You just make that decision yourself of what the final decision is going to be. That's you being a ball hog. So what happens is you can say, hey, can we share the, can we bounce the ball on this? And so it doesn't matter who starts, but partner A would say, this is what I think we should do on this topic. Here's the value it comes from for me. This is what's underneath it for me. 
And then they metaphorically bounce that ball by saying, what do you think? And then partner B catches the ball. And then they say what they think. Well, I think we should do X, Y, and Z. And they share the value underneath that for them, where that comes from for them. And then they bounce the ball back. What do you think? So sharing, and there's more steps than that, but just as a quick pause, sharing underneath why something is important to you and Mm -hmm. where it comes from Mm -hmm. is super important data. Because when you hear that on the opposite end, that gives you information of how to make a compromise because you see it deeper than the surface level opinion that they're expressing. Mm-hmm. You've got the values. So after, yes, that's right. It's what values are involved. You know, where does this come from for you? Why is this important to you? And when you hear that, it gives you a, a much more comprehensive understanding of where your partner's coming from. And that gives you data of how to build the compromise eventually. Mm. So what you do is after partner A and partner B both share their original position, now the ball goes back to partner A, and now partner A has to adjust their original position by a few degrees to honor some of partner B's. So they come up with their new suggestion, hey, what do you think if we did this? And then they bounce the ball back to partner B by saying, what do you think? And then partner B has to do the same. They have to come off their original position by a few degrees to honor partner A, Mm. and they come up with their idea like, well... What about this idea? What about this for a compromise? And then they bounce that ball back to partner A. And then if both partners keep slowly making those adjustments to honor some of the other partners, eventually they will strike a win-win. I like that analogy. I mean, at some point, somebody's going to take a shot. I mean, it, it, that is yeah. the goal of the game. But you're you're trying yeah. to get to the place where you're in the best position for everybody to have been participating in getting to that yes. point. That's right. And you're honor, you're trying to honor each partner's position along the way. Mm-hmm. And so it takes you out of this whole mindset of I'm making decisions based on what I think and what I want, because this is important to me. And it go, goes from that to, but what, what do you want? And what mm-hmm. do you think? And what's your values on this decision? Mm-hmm. So now I have to start brainstorming of what kind of compromise, what kind of solution, what kind of shot is going to honor both of these perspectives, not just mine. I like that. That's a great analogy, especially we've been talking about this being on the team, being a we that, um, yeah, that sharing the, I mean, that ball is kind of the power, right? I mean, in a game, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what, so sharing that and passing it back and forth gives opportunities to changing positions a bit, um, uh, to, yeah. to get to what does honor the team better. That's right. It's great. Um, why this has been great. I, I know we could go on for a while, but we were about out of time. So let's talk a little bit. If this has struck a chord for people, how can they find your information and, and uh, hook up with your resources, you, whatever needs to happen there? Sure. Yeah. My podcast is probably the best way for people to connect with me. Uh, my podcast is the Dr. Wyatt show. And so I usually put out a podcast once a week and they're, they're about 15, 20 minutes, real short to the point, you know, top five tips to X, Y, and Z. So yeah, my podcast, The Dr. Wyatt Show is a great way to connect with me. My website is drwyattfisher.com. And my handles on Instagram and TikTok are marriage underscore Dr. Wyatt. Right. And and if they go to your website, they can find your podcast as well as in yes. podcast um, apps and that kind of thing. That's right. That's Perfect. right. All right. Mm-hmm. Wyatt, thanks for being here. It's been great to sure. talk to you. Thank you, Lee. I appreciate you having me on your, your podcast. Thanks for being here and thanks for sharing. 
listening to Save the Marriage Podcast. For more information and help, please visit us at savethemarriage.com. Thank you.